at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is special guest Jim Simmons. Hey, how are you? Doing well. As everyone knows, Jim covers the cross for us on, uh, on the blog and is obviously one of the foremost experts on the team, its history, and lacrosse in general. Always happy to have you around this time of year, Jim. Um, so uh, what do you think in terms of, I know you've written some stuff for the blog already, but what do you think in terms of the orange seating? Um, where maybe do you think Syracuse should have been seated instead? And then after that, we can get into talk a little bit about um, the matchup with Albany. Sure. So... You know, I guess my issue, and, and I said this in one of the articles, my issue is more about the reasoning of, of the seating and not necessarily just Syracuse's, but you look at Duke and they had a, if you look, don't look at their losses, they had a really great resume. And some of their losses are a little mystifying, but um, I was kind of confused that they didn't get a, a seated spot, you know, instead of, um, or over Loyola or Marquette. Um you know, but the tournament committee, I, I guess, was just going off RPI. I've heard some thoughts that uh, from some of the people out there that maybe they were going off or, you know, not really looking at losses, um, not really valuing losses. And if that's the case, then, again, I, I don't know why Duke wasn't wasn't a top eight. Um, you know, the, the Marquette RPI, I believe there are six. Yeah, there were six. Um their schedule is is just not good. Uh, you've got two wins over Villanova. You've got the obviously great win over Denver, um, and after that, there's really nothing. The one game or the two games that really stand out on their schedule are the Denver win and the Duke loss. They lost to Duke by 15 goals, and it wasn't you know, the beginning of season. It was a couple weeks ago. Um, it's it's really hard to get around that loss. So. You know, from my view, I just think the committee was not using an eye test at all. Um, I think they probably, you know, saw that Denver win, maybe watched the game. It was one of the last games uh, of the weekend. And uh, that, you know, added to the RPI. They uh, they put Marquette at six. Um, I, I had no problem if you wanted to make our, uh, Marquette an eight seed. I, I would have had no problem with that. Um, Syracuse, I think... I think the eight seed was uh, a little bit of a snub. Uh, you know, this is the team that won the ACC tournament. And yeah, the ACC is having a down year, but you, know, you still got four teams in the tournament. So uh, I, I was expecting more of a seven, six seed, but I'm okay with the eight seed. Um, just because, you know, it, it's not, it's, we're still getting a home game here. And I think either way, we were going to play Albany, so I don't think it makes that much of a difference for us. But in terms of seeding, I was very confused why Duke didn't get a seed, why Loyola was seeded, why Marquette was seeded so high. That that's really my my issues there. 
the top the top five seeds, no issue with it all. Uh, I thought they got that right. Um, in terms of you know the quote unquote snubs with Rutgers and Harvard, you know, do you put Navy in or, or do you put Harvard and Rutgers in instead of them? I, I thought Navy choice the Navy choice going into uh, I, I thought the Navy choice was correct going into the Patriot League tournament. I thought Navy was uh, you know bubble in. Then they lost in the semifinals, and uh, I, you know, still had them bubble in, but there just wasn't enough there for Harvard. They didn't do enough at the end of the year. They didn't do enough all year, really. Rutgers, I think, going into the Big Ten tournament had to win it to get in. So I was fine with Navy being in over those two teams. Although I know their fan bases were very upset, but you know, sometimes that's just the way it goes. Yeah, and I mean, obviously. Syracuse fans would be talking about uh, basketball. Uh, Syracuse fans have been on, on the right and wrong side of that bubble. Lacrosse, not so much. We've managed to uh, to make the tournament quite frequently, as, as everyone knows. Um, I, I think Marquette is the team that everyone's really harping on, and you know, you've said it, and you know, John said it on the site too, um, and, and a lot of other folks talk about it on Twitter. It's not that Marquette didn't deserve to be, you know, as a top eight seed. It, it's that they, the way in which they, they got it seems questionable. Um, I know John wrote an extensive piece about, you know, how folk can easily kind of gain the RPI, but with the other issue um, that maybe, you know, if you have any thoughts on is the fact that Marquette's AD was on the committee um, yeah. for, for men's lacrosse, which I mean, I'm not going to start some conspiracy theories, but it's <laughs> certainly, 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 um, like raises some red flags right off the bat um, because of, of their seating in particular. But at the same time, you know, Loyola didn't have anybody there. So it's, it's, it's hard to point a finger at one without the other. Yeah, no, I, I John's article was really well-written. I, I agree with him a hundred percent. There's no, you know, the RPI they're using too heavily uh, to base this tournament on right now. Um, the fact that the Marquette AD was on the committee, I, you know, I noticed that too. And it irked me to some degree, but I don't, you know, I don't know what goes on in the, you know, in that room. Um, you know, I, I said, I don't think, I don't think they used the eye test really this year. I, I'm just not sure how many of these games outside of, you know, you know, each committee members conference, you know, games or out of their schools games were actually watched. And I have a feeling that. Uh, that Denver, you know, Marquette game was on in that room. There, you know, all eyes on it, and everyone just, you know, that that's what stuck in their mind. At the end of the day was the most recent game that they all watched together, and I, I think that's what probably did it. But you, know, you, you do have to wonder, you know, just just by the Marquette ads being there, does that have some influence on it? Uh, I don't know, probably not, but you never know, you know so. Yeah, I mean, do they have, uh, not knowing as much about the committee process there as I probably should, I know that there's abstentions when it comes to the the men's and, and I think women's too, basketball tournament. Uh, I'm assuming those same abstentions don't apply to lacrosse because of the much smaller committee size. Yeah, I haven't read anything about uh, anyone having to abstain. I'm, you know, I would guess that they, you know, Marquette AD kept a little quiet on that, you know, on that call. But I, yeah, as far as I know, and as far as I've read and, you know, researched into this, I don't believe that there's any abstention 
that needs to happen. Interesting. Um, so I guess looking at our opponent, because at the end of the day, can't really do much about this seating matter. Um, you said we're probably going to face Albany regardless. Um, what, what do you see in the Great Danes? And specifically, what do you see in the Great Danes now that perhaps you didn't see in the uh, blowout win for Syracuse earlier in the season? Yeah, I, I mean, this is a team that has a great offense, uh, one of the best goalies in the country, um, a defense that's gotten better, and really poor uh, face-off ability. Um, and, you know, Scott Marr, he's a coach that traditionally is known as an offensive guy. Um, I know he, in terms of recruiting, um, he mainly focuses on his offense Defense always has been a little suspect. I mean, you can go back to the you know the Lyle years and and all the Thompson years, and you can you know you watch those games, you see one side of the ball is clearly, I mean, it's vastly superior than the other. And I, I know the Thompsons were you know some of the best lacrosse players in the last 10, 15 years, but it, it's not even close. I mean, the defense really has, has sunk the ship over the last you know two to three years for them, um, and in terms of their chances in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, Blaze Reardon, he had a, a pretty good game against us, very good game against us. He plays well pretty much every day. Um, he is a big goalie. He takes up a lot of room in the net. Um, and, you know, he's an offensive an offensive goalie. Um, you know, on the clears, he's looking out. He's looking how can he get the ball to his attackman. What's the quickest way there? He's not afraid to run it up, as we've seen before. You know, it, it's... Almost in terms of clearing him, it's almost similar to Evan Malloy. Um, I think Blaze is a lot more aggressive about it. But if you watch Malloy in terms of his uh, when he has the ball, there's no tunnel vision. He sees the entire field. Um, you know the the clears run through him. He's kind of got the green light to throw it wherever he wants. And we've seen a couple times over the last few games where he's found you know the midi on the run or the attackman playing high off the box, and he's gotten that outlet past them. So it's more of an aggressive version of, of what we've seen from Malloy so far. Uh, but defensively, you know, they're 33rd in scoring defense in the country. Um, you can put up goals on them. You know, Syracuse put up a, a good number of goals on them. Um, but offensively, it's just they, they've got three guys at attack who can really you know fire the ball. So in terms of how I see it, I see it if, if Ben Williams comes in and dominates like he dominated against them, uh, you know, the beginning of the season, I don't know how uh, Albany is able to recover from that, you know, just the lack of possessions. And we've seen Syracuse, you know, especially during the ACC tournament run, we've seen them uh, able to take a, a Ben Williams face off win and hold the ball and not necessarily, you know, hold and keep the ball and, and play keep away but hold the ball, get a, a continued offensive uh, presence with significant offensive pressure, and you know find the opportunity that's best for them. If that continues into this game, I, I really I don't see how Albany wins. The one thing I will say is that because Blaze is so, so you know such a great goalie, you know you need to take a lot of shots on him. Syracuse took, I believe, it was forty nine fifty shots during that that game earlier in the season. And even still, I mean, he made uh, you know a good number of saves. I don't I don't have the number on me right now, but uh, he made a good number of saves on Syracuse. And you need to just pepper him with shots. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great call. Like you said, he is a great goalie. I think it's it's going to be interesting to see the kind of difference in style because I feel like you alluded to the fact that later in the year, the team was very good at kind of holding, you know, serve um, toward the end. I feel like in the beginning of the year, it was just shoot till you miss. Um, yeah. And, and you were seeing a much more attacking style um, on Syracuse's end, obviously, as, as, as the year goes by and as... Um, you know, the physicality of conference play in particular starts to take its toll. You just kind of change your style. You see that in any sport. But um, here especially, you know, I, I think you hit it dead on that, that the key is going to be those face-offs. Um, it, it's, a, it's a weakness for Albany and it's a huge strength for Syracuse. Um, the key is going to be whether or not, um, you know, Syracuse can, can avoid those turnovers, especially in their own zone. Uh, we saw kind of in the midseason swoon, uh, Ben Williams was continuing his, uh, his face-off prowess, but the team was losing, uh, you know, those 50-50 balls and, and, and all those sort of just... It, it was it was poor play, and, and it was it was something that, you know, was especially aggravating for, for us as fans, seeing a team that, you know, had finally, kind of, in the last couple of years, gotten rid of that, um, you know, face-off issue, bugaboo that had been going for a while. Um, and, and then, you know, the team kind of was repaying Ben Williams for his great work by turning it over and... and putting it into precarious situations. I mean, do you do you think Albany's better at faceoffs now than they were at the beginning of the season? Do you think that, that this should be more of the same, even if it's a little bit more lower scoring? No, they've been, they've been pretty consistently bad uh, face-offs. Uh, Syracuse just has much better wing play in addition to, to Williams being a vastly uh, superior face-off guy. But um, the Syracuse wings have been uh, phenomenal in the second half of the season. Uh, the one thing that I was really disappointed with in terms of Williams this year is, you know, at the beginning of the year, Desco said, you know, we expect to see more of him on offensive possessions. We want to see him out, you know, getting opportunities more. You know, you're going to see him uh, playing the field. We really haven't seen that at all. He's taken a few shots. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's the same guy who we saw last year. And I know, you know, I've gotten the comments on Twitter about why don't, why doesn't Ben Williams stick out on on faceoff wins? And you know, quite frankly, it's because he, I guess, in my opinion, it looks like he doesn't have the confidence, or is you know maybe his heart is racing so fast after that faceoff win that he just doesn't slow things down and make a good pass. But he turns the ball over a heck of a lot off the faceoff and just throws it away. And you know, you just you can't have it. Um, there's no point in winning the faceoff. You're just going to throw it away. So I know he's taking 10 shots this year. Um, he's got that one goal, but his shots have been um, not well-placed. I'll say that. Uh, I would have loved to have seen him improve more uh, as a, as a midfielder because, you know, you go back to those, um, those Jeremy Thompson days back in like 08, 09, where he would just, you know, win it and take it straight to the goal. I remember, I, I can't remember who they were playing, but I remember there was one game. It was, you know, he had two goals in like four point something seconds. Uh, just, you know, you miss that kind of uh, speed on the faceoff. And I really thought we might have been able to get that, you know, with Williams. But he's just, he, he's not ready. Um, and I don't, I don't really know what it is. You know, again, it could be a confidence issue, but I, I really would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great point. Um, so I guess looking at this one, uh, obviously, you know, it's an inexact science to, to guess a score on these sorts of things. <laughs> but 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 if you had to put, put maybe a score on this, well, what are we looking at here? 
I mean, I think you're I think you're looking at another game where you've got both teams in the teens. Um, you know, the one thing, the one, the biggest difference between right now and you know when they played is the defenses, and I think on both sides, you know, the Albany defense, while not good, has you know definitely surpassed what the expectations were for it. Um, in terms of Syracuse, look, I you know Warren Hill has had a great career, but this has just been not a good year for him. He didn't play, you know, horribly, but he he just didn't really uh, meet those expectations that he had coming into Syracuse and off of those world championships where he played so well. So you switch in with Evan Malloy, and suddenly that defense is cranking again. And I've said it, I know other people have said it too, it's all about the communication here. You've got Brandon Mullins out there, who is a quiet guy. He's not, you know, a loud talker. Um, he's not the guy who's going to shout for you. Uh, same with, uh, from what I know, uh, Nick Mellon, another guy who's a little more mild-mannered. Um, you know, you need that voice on the defense, and Malloy has really brought that. Um, additionally, he's been much better on the outside shooting. Uh, clearing, clear, the clearing game has been much better. You know, I, I think this is, if I had to guess, I, I would say an 18-12 game. In eighteen thirteen game, somewhere in, in kind of the same range we saw earlier in the year. Um, I don't know how Albany's going to come out after that loss, you know, in the uh, in the conference semifinals. But I would imagine that we get a similar score than what we saw earlier in the year. Good call. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably about what we're looking at. Like we both said, you're going to see a little bit slower pace from Syracuse, um, a little bit more pressure from Albany as a result, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I, I do see a win here. I, I'm not going to jinx us and, and bring up any of the, the previous, you know, kind of first round upsets <laughs> and, and, and things that things that none of us want to speak of anymore. Yeah, but, uh, I, those I, things are behind us. Hopefully I will add in to, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, the, the Albany defense didn't have the same uh, same number of Syracuse guys to cover as they do now. You didn't have Sergio Salcedo uh, being as big of a presence then as he is now. You didn't have, you know, Derek DeJoe being as respected as he is now. That first line midfield has turned into something I don't think anyone expected. You've got an incredible Dodger um, in uh, <clears throat> Nick Mariano. You know, he loves dodging from that alley side. He can go left-handed. He, also, he, he has an outside shot, too, if he wants to use it. But he likes to, to dodge. You can get physical in the dodge. Um, Salcedo has a very nice shot, but again, he's a speed guy. Maybe the fastest guy on this roster. He can beat you and burn you. If you've got a shorty on him, you know, you really have to slide very quickly to him. And then Derek Joe, who, you know, possibly is the fastest shot. So you've got a lot of threats right there. Um, you know, and that's not even the attack. So who do you pull is a big question. Um, you know, personally, I would go with Nick Mariano, but then you've got the problem with Sergio. And then, you know, if he dodges, you might leave Derek to Joe wide open. So I think it's a big question there as well. Yeah, it's a good problem to have for us, though. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess looking at a uh, long-term view of, of the tournament, you want to just go quick, kind of final four. Um, who are you seeing, you know, in, in that final weekend? And, and maybe who do you see winning it all? You don't have to go through every matchup, obviously, but maybe just looking at it from standpoint of you know who seems most likely to get there sure so 
you know, the hardest route is uh, it's through our bracket, I think. And you gotta you gotta feel a little bit for Maryland being the one seed and suddenly looking and oh no, we have we might have to play Syracuse in that in that quarterfinal game. And I think that could be that could be a very poor matchup for them just because of Syracuse's ability to take faceoffs. Maryland doesn't have that guy. Um, Maryland does have a you know wide array of shooters, um, including Dylan Maltz, of course, who uh, transferred from Syracuse. Uh, his older brother went to Syracuse, but um, you know the, I think they had a they actually got a bad draw being the number one seed. Um, I do think right now I got to say they come out. Of, of our you know quarterfinal region um it's very possible Syracuse beats them but it's going to be a challenge for SU to stop any of their uh, or all their offensive threats again that's assuming you know Syracuse beats Albany um in the bracket below ours you got Brown Hopkins Yale and Navy I I like me I get sorry I like Yale to come out um I think Hopkins could upset Brown um, I know Hopkins' defense is really poor. Their clearing game, also poor. Um, but you're going to find out, I think, in this game if uh, there are other shooters for Brown um, besides that Dylan, uh, Dylan Malloy. I think that's his name, Dylan Malloy. Um, they also rely a lot on their goalie. So, I, you know, we'll see how good their defense is compared to the, the Hopkins shooters. They've got a great attack there with uh, Shaq Stanwick and Ryan Brown. Um, but yeah, I like Yale to come out, um, come out of that bracket on the, let's see on the Notre Dame side. I am very worried for Notre Dame playing air force. Very worried. Um, air force, you know, they've got that win in overtime at Duke. They've, you know, they've played a, a good season. I personally thought they should have been a, uh, a play in game. That's a whole different issue though. But, Notre Dame, they've got four shooters right now, four people who can shoot the ball well. I don't know who else offensively is doing anything for them. Um, they've got to find someone else to come in there and make a statement. Uh, defensively, they're solid. You know, that's going to be the challenge for Air Force is, uh, is actually scoring on Notre Dame. But I, I think this definitely could be a, an upset watch game. I know Notre Dame fans have been you know, a little bit salty in terms of everyone uh, maybe not betting against them, but questioning, you know, how good this team actually is. Because I'll tell you, they've, they've looked uh, worse and worse as we've gone down the stretch. Um, still, you know, deserving that number three seed, but definitely now beatable, way more beatable than they were in, earlier in the year. Um, Marquette and North Carolina, you know, I, I, again, Marquette is seated too high. They got a bad draw, probably making up for it against North Carolina. UNC uh, mailed it in against Syracuse pretty much, but they had gotten better as the years go- as the year went on. They had that win against Notre Dame. I think North Carolina wins it by a couple goals. I don't I don't think it's a very close game. Um, in the end, though, I think Notre Dame probably comes out of out of that bracket. In the bottom side, Loyola, Duke, Denver, and Towson. Yeah, I like Towson. I, I thought they should have been the the team playing Notre Dame. Um, I don't think they beat Denver, but I think they make it close. Um, Towson's been a little back and forth all season. Uh, they haven't been very consistent, you know, in terms of their record. You know, they have a great record, but um, I think they only have two losses. But still, you know, they've in terms of 
the game-by-game situations, they've been a little bit back and forth. Denver, you know, I think they come out firing. I think that loss in the uh, in the Big East tournament probably lit a fire under them. Um, you know, and sometimes it's good to have that that loss near the tournament to kind of get you fired up. I, I think they win it, but I do think Towson makes it interesting. Um, Duke Loyola, I got Duke. Um, I know Loyola is good. I would be worried if I were Duke. I think it's it's definitely a situation where Loyola can move on, but. I've seen Duke to play too many times. Um, you know, the one thing I would be worried about is, you know, the ACC championship game. I was one of one of the few people watching on Periscope the last seven thirty minutes or seven minutes thirty seconds uh, after they had to switch fields, and um, Duke looked uh, anemic. I mean, they were they were not they were not good. They didn't come out ready to play at all. And you've got to put that on Donowski. And it's odd to say because he's been such a great coach during his tenure there. Um, pretty much always has his guys ready to play. I think they'll be ready to play against Loyola. They look good against BU. I know it's BU, but they look good against them last weekend. Uh, at the end of the day, I think it's Denver coming out. Um, and so I, I, if I had to choose right now, I've got Maryland, Yale, uh, Notre Dame, and Denver in my championship weekend. So not a lot of, of, you know, I guess seating surprises, but I think there's definitely the potential there. You know, I, I think there's definitely the potential for Syracuse to upset Maryland if they get by Albany. I think there is the potential for, for Hopkins to come out or Brown to come out of that bottom bracket. Um, you know, I, I just think Yale is too strong there, but it, there's, there's a lot of potential for upsets here. Uh, part of the problem is that, no team has been very uh, very steady all year. You know, you may have good records, but there's been really no team who's every game come out, laid it on the line, and really looked fantastic. And you thought that was going to be Denver, but then then they lose in the Big East you know, tournament to Marquette. So, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to say this year. It really is. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's going to be symptomatic of what we see going forward, too. Like, it's just the sport isn't as top-heavy as it used to be. It, it, in fact, it's now top-heavy with, with a depth of, you know, 8 to 10 teams. I think that's where, that's where maybe the, the committee kind of leaned back a little too much on the RPI or whatever that measure they used because I think you just look at how good this top 8 to 10. I mean, even you look at some of the unseeded teams and they're ones that you mentioned, North Carolinas and, and Hopkins and Dukes of the world. You know, yeah. teams that would, in most years, um, you know, have have a one through eight, um, and instead um, are are on the road. Um, I guess from my standpoint, I see Syracuse being able to upset Maryland and, and getting back to the Final Four. Um, I really like uh, what the Ivy League did this year. I wish that Brown and, and Yale didn't have to potentially face off with one another. Um, you know, in in that quarterfinal matchup, though, at the same time, I, I see Brown losing to Hopkins. Um, I see Yale being able to get past. Um, it's I, I think if for those who've been paying attention to Ivy League lacrosse, um, there's been a lot of great movement upward, um, quality wise, top to bottom, mm. um, and surprising too, considering that that's without really the strengths of traditional power, Princeton. Uh, that you're just seeing a lot of movement, especially from from Yale. Um, in recent years, you know, it started kind of slow a couple of years ago, and it's really kind of grown into now, um, you know, a team that you can you can count as a top four seed, um, or at least consider for a top four seed. Um, so I had Yale there. Um, 
I still believe in Notre Dame. I don't know why. Um, I, I think that they might have been... I think that Duke loss might have shook them awake. Um, and, and I do see them getting out of that region. Um, and then in the, uh, the bottom quadrant, as it was, um, I've got Denver. I think Denver's the best team in the country, um, despite that loss to Marquette. Uh, and I'm going to get them through. Um, so you're looking at you know, Syracuse, Yale... Um, Notre Dame and Denver and I think you're looking at a Syracuse-Denver championship and, and, and unfortunately for us a Denver win but um, good for the sport Denver win probably too yeah I, I don't disagree uh, with most of those picks I, I'll say Denver is probably the most complete team right now uh, but I think Maryland's playing better than anyone else and, and I think by a significant margin just you know the way they've come into this tournament and again um Syracuse, if they face off, you know it could come down to that that face off question. Um, Maryland doesn't really have a face off guy right now. They, I know their main uh, Fogo was injured for a little bit. He's back, um, but last week against Rutger, I think it was last week against Rutgers, I, he went seven of ten. Maryland won eleven of twenty four, um, and you know against Syracuse, those numbers are going to be a little bit different. Um, the one thing about the face-off this year, though, and I, I don't know if you've noticed this just, you know, watching, reading Syracuse stuff, but it seems like the face-off matchups and numbers have mattered a little bit less than in years past. And, you know, you, you look towards that Cornell loss, uh, for example, uh, the Syracuse loss, where I, I think Ben Williams went 18 of 24, and, you know, we still lost Cornell. Um and I, you know, the faceoff is important, but I, I just think a lot of these teams who have good faceoff guys, and you saw it today with Quinnipiac and Hartford, um, you know, the, that Presto kid for Hartford coming in, you know, he's one of the he's the number one faceoff guy in the country coming in, um, and they lose, you know, they lose by a couple goal, goals. It wasn't that close, so you know, I I would hope that face-offs you know could be the difference maker if Syracuse and Maryland were to face off but um I worry that we could get another Cornell situation where we're just missing cage we're not holding on the ball yeah I agree there I think with, with a lot of teams that are focusing on face-off and, and it's a good it's a good idea and it's it's inspired I think in large part from a recruiting standpoint by you know Syracuse lost to Duke a couple years back um in the national championship game and it's you know teams instead of like it's good to focus on faceoffs. You should want possession, but I, I think that teams are forgetting that you need to be able to to execute, uh, you know, with the ball. And you're not seeing the type of like you see a team like Albany that doesn't have great faceoff play, but they have great offensive play. Um, and there's plenty of other teams in the country that that are similar. Um, it's it's odd to see most teams, you know, not be able to strike a balance. Like getting recruiting and, and developing a great faceoff man doesn't mean you have to give up on the other parts of your offense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do think this uh, this bracket is is one of the more unusual ones we've seen, and I, I think it's created some really intriguing matchups this year. Though, um, I mean, the, the Brown Hopkins one is going to be just uh, just goals and goals and goals. I, I don't know how either team stops the other one, or if they can. Um, yeah, the Marquette North Carolina one, it, it's kind of a cool matchup because you've got this ACC team unseated visiting Marquette, you know, a Big East team that's what, four years old. Um, and I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, Joe Amplo has done 
phenomenal job there uh, bringing that program up. And I, I just think it's a kind of a, a cool game to see happen. Uh, Loyola Duke, I think, uh, might be the most competitive game of the weekend, though. And then the Notre Dame Air Force game, I'm just really interested to see what Air Force does there. But uh, again, just a, a lot of really interesting matchups in that first round. Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? I, I think that it's going to make for an interesting first round, and, and hopefully that translates to uh, to next week's quarterfinals. Yeah, absolutely. One um, one side note, I heard earlier, uh, earlier I was listening to a podcast on a drive, um, and I heard Gary Gates' name mentioned, actually, for a coaching job at Princeton. Hmm. Um, and I think that's not, you know, not something that would happen. But I, I think there is a uh, a rumor that's kind of gone a buzz in the last couple of days um, that maybe some calls have been put in. And I you know I don't know anything, but this is just what I've I've heard, um, you know, on on different from different people's mouths. And I, I don't think it would ever happen. I think you know Sean Nadelin is probably the the lead for that job. But it's an interesting uh, interesting thought because his son does play at Princeton right now, so. Interesting. Well, it's something we're definitely going to track on the site, I think, uh, especially since it has uh, a great concern to the Syracuse community at large and, of course, the women's lacrosse team, particularly uh, who currently employ him. Of course. On that note, uh, Jim, it was a great time hanging out this week. Uh, Perhaps we'll have you back next week if Syracuse wins. That's the hope because um, I don't think this fan base can handle another early loss. (laughs) <laughs> no, not at all. Fire Desco crew would go crazy. <laughs> but thank you for having me on, and uh, you know, good luck with all the Mark Coyle talk. Thanks, Jim. Uh, so that was Jim. I'm John. Thanks for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk, on iTunes, and uh, go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.